Well, isn't it quaint to hear a royal psalm? I almost feel like we need our teacups out and the nice china uh, to, to accompany it. It sounds a little bit, um, a little bit uh, uh, like it's political propaganda in a sense. It's peace and prosperity shall reign in the land and um, almost slogan-ish. In fact, uh, the Canadian national motto uh, in Latin is a translation of Psalm 72.8, which is, uh, I'm not going to say it in Latin because I don't know how to pronounce it, but let the king rule from sea to sea. So it's from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So this uh, royal psalm is one that, as Katie said, was probably written and spoken, prayed liturgically when a king, a new king came to the throne and probably would have been uh, repeated at uh, anniversaries of the, of the enthronement. <clears throat> And it continued, however, uh, after the period of kings had passed in Israel's history, and still today it is an important part of our scriptures. It is the last one of a whole section of uh, the Psalms. And in fact, if we'd gone on to read the last three verses, we would see that it kind of uh, caps off a whole section. But we read most of the Psalm uh, as it, as it would have been spoken in, in liturgy. And um, I, I first hesitated about having this be the scripture for the morning because uh, the idea of God being, or, or being governed by a king seems so outdated. Nevertheless, I thought it's been so important in shaping an important part of our theology that I I thought I'm going to work with that kingship thing and figure out how to make it relevant today. Um, because what's really being talked about in this passage uh, is a vision of what it would be like when God is really acting as king. We pray for the king that God's wisdom will be on him and that he'll act in these ways that live out the kingdom of God. And so it's kind of an illustration. Every Sunday we pray uh, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as God is making it happen in heaven. May it be on earth. And this beautiful psalm is a vision of what is central in God's reign. Justice and righteousness shall be characteristics. Did you notice how many times those words popped up? Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. Peace and prosperity. Now, uh, that sounds so generic that, that really we might just want to write it off. But I actually think the psalm goes on and gives us three important criteria that help us know if God's justice and righteousness are actually being lived out and are present. 
Now, and we need that help because for most of us, we tend to think all is right in the world when things are going pretty well in our circle. It's a natural thing. It's kind of a product of our self-centered, not necessarily selfish, but self-centered worldview uh, that, well, and, and <clears throat> candidates will know this, right? They'll appeal, are you better off, are you better off today than you were um, when, uh, when I first started in office? Then you should reelect me. Uh, are you better off? Most of us tend to think, well, if things are going well with me, things are right. And so this uh, help and guidance from the scripture about what is involved in God's just and right reign are important. They're general, they're broad, they aren't going to give us any uh, specifics of political policies, but they do give us guidance. And there are three things uh, right in the scriptures. Let me point them out. The first one is, uh, let me back up just a second. There's a part in, in the scriptures, I think it's verses three to five, when it talks about having the king's reign go on forever and ever, you know, it's as long as the moon is in the sky and the sun is in the sky, let the king reign for a long, long time. And then it goes on and, and says, and let it extend all over the, the face of the earth. Um, you know, enemies bow down and he'll have dominion and all of these different, uh, uh, all of these different areas. So that sounds like just kind of a grandiose power politics plan. But notice, and if you have your scripture still opened, uh, either in the hymnal or in your pew Bible, uh, it's got a very important uh, qualification linked to it. In verse 11, after it's painted this picture of God's reign going on and on forever and, and God's uh, the reign of the king extending in wide, wide places and areas, in verse 11, it says, let it be so because he delivers the needy who cry out, the poor and those who have no helper. So one of the first criteria that we would look at if we want to know if the king is really living out and enacting God's wisdom and justice on earth would be what is the state of poor people? Do they receive justice? Do they receive help? Are their lives considered valuable? Are they protected from their predators? That would be one of the visions, the, the angles that we would look at to assess is the king enacting the will, the justice and righteousness of God? The second one, <clears throat> you notice it talks about the, uh, the bounty on the mountains and on the hills, the grain that's coming in. It's, it's about prosperity and it connects it to the health of the land. How is the earth doing? Is the earth something that is sustaining us well? If that is happening, well, that's one more thing checked off the list to tell you, is the king acting with God's righteousness and justice? 
And then the third thing that is interesting is the state of relations among nations. The esteem that's given to the king, not only from his own people, but from other nations. Because the vision is that a good and just king of one nation will somehow be good for everyone. And you notice in the very last verse that we read in 17, let the king's name last forever. I'm sorry, I'm reading from the CEB, the Common English uh, Version, and I know you have the RSV in front of you. Let his name endure as long as the sun. Let all the nations be blessed through him. All the nations be blessed through him and call him happy. So what should we want as a society? We should want a king, a government that is centered on God's vision and wisdom for justice and righteousness, putting them central, we will be able to tell that that is really deeply and widely true when the poor are given regard and dignity and honor, when those who are <clears throat> not in our boundaries but outside of our boundaries also will see that there's blessedness and when the land is fertile, productive, and well taken care of. Now, if, we were, if I was going to uh, take those, if I were to take those three criteria and put them in one uh, short sentence, I would say that this psalm gives a vision that right makes might. Right makes might. Now that's not what we usually hear, is it? There's a lot in our world, and we'll often see people act as if might makes right. Right? Is that what we hear? But this psalm starts and finishes from the assumption and plays out the picture of what it looks like when right makes might. Will you say that with me? Right makes might. And so what is our vision to be as we think not in a day of kings, but of people that we ask to act and govern with a vision that is informed by our faith? It is that right makes might. Well, that's not terribly specific, but it is helpful. It's helpful, isn't it? If you read these words and think about our leaders and our leadership, it gives us some kind of guidance about what to look for and what is good. Now, because we are a, a democracy and we elect leaders and we make choices, we also have to acknowledge the very important insight that, that what makes a wholesome, healthy society is not just in the hands of people who are elected in an official leadership, as important as it is in church, in state, and in businesses. It also is about the conviction 
of the importance of justice and righteousness in each and every person. So, as we read this psalm, we have to think, do we want this kind of governance? And if so, are we ourselves committed to justice in the way we conduct our lives, in the way we make our purchases, in the way we think about uh, our policies? Are we committed also to growing in righteousness? In small ways, uh, we can be committed to growing in righteousness by learning and leaning on God's word. We can be committed to growing in justice by thinking about all of the choices that we make in our lives and thinking not just about their impact on us, but on the impact that they have on other people. Are we using labor that is a good deal for us at the expense of someone who is being paid or exploited, underpaid or exploited, or in bad working conditions? Are we purchasing things that have been produced for short-term benefit and long-term throwaway with devastating effects? We all need to start thinking as citizens of a just and right reign. Part of God's mercy poured out in creation is guidance given to us to help us learn how to live justly and rightly and to put our energies in partnership with God's governance of the world. Somebody asked me uh, after the service today, uh, who had been, who's been coming here for a little while, she said uh, she'd been talking to uh, a friend who goes to a more fundamentalist church uh, about coming here, and they said, well, do they preach the gospel? She said, so I haven't been to churches that much. Do you preach the gospel? Yes. The gospel is about God's grace poured out to us through Jesus Christ as individuals who grow in righteousness because we experience God's love and God's forgiveness and God's willingness to tutor and lift us up and raise us into real righteousness. But the gospel is also God's love for the world who created this world for beauty and prosperity and goodness to be shared widely with all people. When we think about our lives in profoundly moral ways and ask difficult questions and ask them of others and try to hold our leaders in church and state and business to high standards that we also support with the real choices we make, we are also proclaiming a gospel, are we not? Because right is might in God's kingdom, and may it ever be so. Amen.